This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to that Good Sports. I am Brandon. Just when you thought the AFC East was up for grabs, Cam Newton signs with the Patriots Perna. Now, a week ago, I would have picked the Bills to win the division. They have a great defense, the longest tenured head coach outside of Hoodie, roster consistency, and Josh Allen showed he can improve. But then Superman came in and ruined everything, just like Henry Cavill in Superman versus Batman. Today, we will look at the AFC East, discuss each team, how they improved over the offseason, and ultimately, who will be on top of this division by November. Yes, November is when the NFL will probably have to shut down prematurely. So, you know, that's good sports. I shall begin with my favorite AFC East team, last year's 10-6 Buffalo Bills. Tom Brady, who's terrorized the team for 20 years, is finally gone. The bad man is gone. They nearly won the division last year, but they couldn't close out a late season game in Foxborough. They also couldn't close their wildcard game in Houston that they led by 16. Josh Allen literally had to throw that game away or maybe just lateral it away. But regardless, it was a major choke job for a team that hasn't won a playoff game since 1996. So who are the Bills' key offseason additions? Buffalo didn't have a first rounder in 2020, but I don't think they minded because they got to use that pick on Stephon Diggs. That gives them a wide receiving core of Diggs, John Brown, Cole Beasley, and a dash of Isaiah McKenzie in desperate situations. So if Josh Allen can get the ball anywhere within 20 yards of them, I think their passing game will look better than it did last season. And sorry, Stefan Diggs, that's a catchable Josh Allen pass. You better not fucking drop those when it counts. When the Bills did get to their first draft pick, they used it on Iowa defensive end A.J. Epinesa, who seems like a perfect fit for the Bills' defense. They also addressed the backup quarterback spot with Jake Fromm in the fifth round. And sure enough, Jake Fromm, State Fromm, forgot to buy private text message insurance and had his racist texts leaked recently. If the Bills don't draft a quarterback who said something racist in the past, I'll start to question Brandon Bean's ability as a GM. I'm still waiting for him to confirm if Josh Allen does indeed Love penis. Now in terms of building upon last year's success, for me, the Bills need to grow on offense. Josh Allen threw just 20 passing touchdowns last season. The offense as a whole had 21 with one by John Brown, which is impressive as Matt Barkley threw zero touchdowns on 51 attempts, including three picks. 
The Bills were 24th overall in passing touchdowns in 2019, which when paired with a middle-of-the-road uh, 13 rushing touchdowns put a lot of, puts a lot of pressure on the Bills' defense. Luckily, the Bills' defense can handle that, but to take the next step as a team, the offense needs to be formidable, and an alarming stat from last season were the 13 fumbles the Bills had on rushes. That was the worst in the league, which is a great way to stymie the eighth best rushing attack in terms of yards. And for each team in this episode, I will address one offensive and defensive player who I think needs to improve to help their team the most. For the Bills on offense, the easy answer is Josh Allen, but I'm going to go with uh, running back Devin Singletary in his second season. He finished the season averaging 5.13 yards per carry, and if targeted enough, could be very dangerous catching passes out of the backfield. Easy passes to the running back should be something the Bills steal from the Patriots playbook to help Josh Allen's passing efficiency. Now, Josh Allen did rush for nine touchdowns last season, very impressive, and Singletary had just two, as did Frank Gore. What you want to see is Singletary quadruple his touchdown numbers and, of course, finish the season healthy. Throw in some bruising production from 220-pound third-round draft pick Zach Moss out of Utah, and the Bills could ground and pound their way into the playoffs. Now, unfortunately, on defense, Ed Oliver was arrested in May on gun and DWI charges. He will certainly be facing an NFL suspension and would have been my defensive player here. Instead, I'm going to go with free agent acquisition Josh Norman, an insane wild card in terms of whether or not he will help or hurt the Bills secondary. Safeties Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde, very, very underrated duo. Corner Tredavious White is a shutdown player. Josh Norman doesn't have to be the guy. He just needs to come in and not be the worst corner on the field like we witnessed for most of last season. He gave up eight passing touchdowns last year, tied for third worst, and I literally found photos of him giving up big plays to every AFC East team and Stefan Diggs, who luckily he will only cover in practice now. I tend to trust head coach uh, Sean McDermott, and I think we will see Josh Norman play his best football in years as a part of a very well-rounded secondary. Next, we have the googly-eyed 7-9 New York Jets, the king of dysfunction in the AFC East. Is Adam Gase actually insane? Will Jamal Adams, known Dan Marino lover, even play for this fucked up franchise? Will Le'Veon Bell's production ever match last year's giant contract? Major question marks that we can't know the answer to unless a psych ward gives Gase a proper evaluation. I think two of the Jets' most impactful additions might have come in the draft with tackle Makai Becton and wide receiver Denzel Mims. Everyone thought Mims would land with the Packers, but their failure here is the Jets' reward. The Jets also added Frank Gore, and everyone loves Frank Gore, but he was a weird addition when guys like Lamar Miller and Devontae Freeman were still available, are still available. Plus, who needs Frank Gore when you sign a backup quarterback as mobile as Joe Flacco? Why sign Flacco when you already signed David Fales? At least David Fales' last name tells you what he's going to do in the game. The Jets' free agency plan was quantity. Joe Douglas spent a lot of money on some pretty lukewarm offensive line talent. 
That said, adding all 369 pounds of Makai Becton to that line with a ton of depth may pay off in a COVID season. Wide receiver Brashard Perryman was signed to replace Robbie Anderson, who, as James Taylor might say, gone to Carolina. Perryman had a resurgence late last season when Chris Godwin got hurt in Tampa and Jameis Winston was chasing the interception record. So that's a solid addition. Now, Will Keyes and I put Sam Darnold on our most underrated quarterbacks list heading into 2020. Something I should have mentioned was that he demonstrated the ability to grow and get better as a QB with the second worst run game in the NFL. Nothing like overpaying for Le'Veon Bell only to accumulate 1,257 rushing yards as a team. Second worst in the league and a league worst 3.3 yards per carry to help your young quarterback. But if one area can improve, it is the offensive line. The Jets need their biggest area of improvement to be the O-line. They're ranked fifth worst in uh, pass protection which Trevor Simeon's broken bones can confirm, and third worst in run blocking. A challenge not even Le'Veon Bell could overcome. Rookie tackle Becton is raw, but with free agent George Fant behind him, he has time to grow if he struggles. If Sam Darnold can get better protection up front, more from his running backs on the ground, and tight end Chris Herndon stays healthy, Darnold can add to a strong 2019 finish. He missed four games with some sickness I have forgotten about, but still put up nearly identical numbers to Josh Allen in fewer games. On defense, the Jets need way more out of their other high-priced 2019 free agent linebacker, C.J. Mosley. C.J. only played in two games because of injuries. New York gave him an $85 million deal and so far have received nothing in return. C.J. is a top-five linebacker when healthy, Basically, Jamal Adams. He's Jamal Adams around the line of scrimmage. So if the Jets can keep Adams and CJ for this season, the defense could be a top 10 unit. That is my hottest, most optimistic take. They gave up the second fewest rush yards last year, and unlike the Buccaneers, it wasn't because teams just threw for a million yards against them. They were competitive despite getting nothing from the offense. My prediction for the Jets, everything points to them improving this season. Until you remember who their head coach is. I'm referring to that googly-eyed bitch with the burner account on Twitter. You can't convince me that he's going to outcoach Bill Belichick, Brian Flores, and Sean McDermott when he can't even look himself in the mirror. Literally, he can't see himself when he looks in the mirror. The 12-4 and 4 New England Patriots. We said the evil empire was dead, but just like in the final Star Wars episode, the Sith Lord returned in full force trying to make one last push with the new Kylo Newton. Or is it Cam Ren Newton? Did the Patriots even have any key additions before Cam signed? As Trey Wingo pointed out, the Patriots are the first team to have released a former MVP quarterback and sign a former MVP quarterback in the same offseason. The stat he missed, though, was that the Pats became the first NFL team to lose a Pro Bowl tied in to the WWE and to the Buccaneers. But stats aside, Brady out, Newton is in. Now, you didn't expect them to go all in with Jared Stidham, did you? I didn't think so. That's like letting a child fly a plane. Or maybe the same as letting Jared Stidham fly a plane, since I don't know if he has any experience doing that. Stidham sounds like a foodborne illness that occurs after eating tainted pork. 
I nearly died from Stidham. But on to more positive things. Cam Newton, at first glance, doesn't seem like the perfect fit for New England's offense. A lot of short throws and definitely very few designed runs the last 20 years. But I do know that New England's offense will change to fit Cam rather than the other way around because Belichick's not an idiot. And you can tell that he really wanted to see what he could do with a quarterback that he himself couldn't beat in a foot race. And the opportunity to give Brady the middle finger? Even more motivation for Belichick. Now, Brett Coleman believes Cam Newton is a perfect fit for that Patriots offense. And since he studies film and not dick jokes, I'll trust his opinion. New England did lose a lot of key players in free agency, all on the defensive side of the ball, and all pretty much to the Lions. Deron Harmon, Jamie Collins, and Danny Shelton all in Detroit vacating. The Dolphins signed linebacker Kyle Van Noy, which is going to be felt on that D. Kicker is also a question for the Patriots, but they did draft the only kicker more racist than Jake Fromm to replace Gostowski. They also traded out of the first round with the Chargers so LA could be applauded for selecting linebacker Kenneth Murray, a player who would have made way too much sense in New England. The Patriots drafted mostly players I've never heard of, so nothing new there. The one player on offense that needs to shine for the Patriots is Cam Newton. For the first time in his career, he will see wide receivers more open than when he was in college. Also like in college, he'll be making about the same amount of money. I think Julian Edelman will see an uptick in production as once in uniform, he looks exactly like Christian McCaffrey. Cam is a smart quarterback at the line of scrimmage, a skill nobody ever attributes to his game. If teams have to defend the run, the pass, Cam Newton extending plays or running, we could see the most dynamic Patriots offense deployed since they had Hernandez and Gronk lining up together. On defense, I just want to know who is going to replace Jamie Collins. Seven sacks, three picks, and 81 combined tackles. Probably Jamie Collins when he returns to New England in 2021. My prediction for the Patriots, uh, I'm definitely more bullish on them than I was prior to the Cam signing. If he stays healthy, and that's still quite the if, I think they have a good shot to win the division. I'm giving them a 97% chance. The other 3%? is if their new rookie kicker gets canceled and they lose on a last second field goal. And finally, we've got the overachieving 5-11 Miami Dolphins. Brian Flores literally cannot get enough credit for milking five wins out of that Dolphins team last year. I've seen dairy farms not milk that well. It was a team that was stripped of almost all of its talent and dignity with the idea that they would get to a Tungavailoa. Flores uh, got them to play well down the stretch despite having the roster of an XFL team, and I'm not talking about the Roughnecks. We're talking Viper territory here, and they still got Tua. It just shows you that you should never try and plan anything ever. It's why I will just wing the rest of this episode. Shit, I can't, I can't improv a whole team's offseason. Miami's three big additions were obviously the three first rounders. Tua, Austin Jackson, and Noah Igbunaguni. Igbunaguni, whose name is sort of uh, a vocal minefield. One that can only be navigated by Tua Tungavailoa. 
They were also very active during free agency, grabbing one of the biggest names and defensive back Byron Jones, running backs Jordan Howard and Matt Breida, Emmanuel Ogba, Shaq Lawson, Eric Flowers, and Kyle Van Noy, among others. It was an overhaul, and Lawson and Van Noy weakened the Bills and Patriots, so nice work there, Miami. One big area Miami needs to get better is in the run game. The only team with a shittier rushing attack than the Jets in the entire NFL was the Dolphins. They had a league-worst 1,156 rushing yards on the season, zero rushes that went for more than 40 yards, and just three for more than 20. 3.3 rushing yards per attempt tied with the Jets for worst. So whether it's Fitz magic or Tunga magic, they need to be able to run the ball. The two biggest bright spots on the Dolphins' offense in 2019 were wide receiver Devontae Parker and tight end Mike Gusecki. 1,200 yards and nine touchdowns for Parker in 51 receptions and five touchdowns for, dare I say, the best tight end in the AFC East, Mike Gusecki. So if the Dolphins are going to exceed expectations in 2020, They need a couple of guys to take the next step. On offense, I'm expecting a sizable jump out of second-year receiver Preston Williams, who had 428 yards and three touchdowns as a rookie in a bad situation. He should get plenty of opportunities with Gusecki and Parker drawing heavy coverage, so I think he can get close to doubling his production in year two. On defense, the guy I'm looking at is their defensive tackle, Christian Wilkins, another second-year guy who was the 13th overall pick in the 2019 draft. Wilkins can play pretty much anywhere on the defensive line, so there's no reason he shouldn't be able to double or triple his sacks, considering he only had two as a rookie. Prediction. Dolphins. I don't think anyone expects Miami to make much noise this year, but I think the season will be a success if they can get Tua on the field and get some confirmation that they made the right pick. Obviously, they will have to pry the starting job from Ryan Fitzpatrick's cold, dead, cake-covered hands, but it's much better than going into the season with Fitz as your backup because God knows he will put a hex on your starter. I think they'll have a losing record, but one of the losing records where you feel pretty good about the team, give them a morally victorious seven and nine. So my final AFC East prediction standing. The Bills tie the Patriots at 11 and five atop the division. The Dolphins jump the Jets, finish in third place at seven and nine. Jets are the bottom feeders, but maybe win one more game than last year. Thanks for watching the AFC East predictions here on That's Good Sports. Subscribe to this YouTube channel. Again, football videos all week, every week. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, at Brandon Perna if you want to talk football shit to me there.